Chris Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive Live, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast and live show. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. And that welcome back actually means a little bit more to the gentlemen and ladies who are with me on the locker room app. So historically, I start at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Thursdays, and I pulled it up, and I started going through my intro, and all of a sudden, I looked down in the comments section, and everyone's like, did he start yet? Did he start? I can't hear anything. Is he running behind? Just so you know, Bruce never runs behind. So if it's 7.01 and you don't hear audio, something horrible has happened, and sure enough, that's what happened, something horrible. And what happened was we couldn't get it to work. We jumped in, we jumped out. They couldn't hear me. I couldn't hear them. But when I would bring a speaker up, everyone would be able to hear them. So I had a gentleman named Bryce who, who shows up weekly here and I chat with Bryce. I figured we were about ready to start the Bryce exclusive. <laughs> and it was classic. Now it's 730. And this is how great, this is how great Bill's Mafia is, okay? Not just Bill's Mafia. This is how great the people who listen to the show are. There's more people in here now than there was when I initially started. They actually waited for me for 30 minutes while I went through these technical issues so that they could be a part of this show. That is, (laughs) who else does that? Really, who else does that but us? I cannot possibly thank you guys enough. So if you are here live with me on Locker Room at the bottom of your screen, you will have a button that says request to speak. If you have something that you want to be put on hold to talk about, hit that button. And when I get a second, I will go to you like a radio caller and we'll do it that way. If you are listening to this as a podcast after the live show has been recorded, first off, you're missing out. Now, to be fair, some of you have Android phones. And because of that, you can't jump on Locker Room yet because they do not have a Android app quite yet. I hear it's in the works. But after this kind of test run that I've been doing for a couple weeks after I'm done with the locker room thing, who knows, maybe I'll live stream on YouTube and you'll be able to have a web client. You'll be able to have that. I'm not going to do a video. Don't get your hopes up by any means (laughs) because that's not what we do here, but, but it is really important that I take a second and say, thank you for the people who, who hung on, but we have things to talk about. Ladies and gentlemen, Specifically, we have Buffalo Bills news to talk about. The football gods have smiled upon me once again. And they did that because the Bills decided that they were going to make a roster move right before my show. So, Brandon Bean, if you're listening to this, your check is in the mail. So, thank you for that, for supporting your boy. I appreciate that. The Buffalo Bills signed running back Matt Breida. Originally, an undrafted free agent in 2017 out of Georgia Southern. Normally, the RB3 conversation wouldn't be as interesting as it is today. And I love the people, the the overly snarky people on Twitter 
who are like, guys, what are you making a big deal about? It's RB3. It's Bill's Mafia. We went off about Christian Wade, a practice squad player. This is what Bill's Mafia does. We spend an entire afternoon on social media debating RB3 and wide receiver six because we desperately care about our team. That's what we do. And so because of that, it's interesting that Matt Breida is an addition to the Buffalo Bills. We all know he has speed. That's what we know. Let me run through some numbers with you. Matt Breida's relative athletic score was 9.43 out of a total 10. He ran a 439 40-yard dash, which is the 96.8 percentile of his class, a 2.5-second 20-yard split, which is in the 99th percentile of his class, and a 1.53 10-yard split, which is the 93rd point eight percentile of his class. Basically, dude can, dude can fly. He's got wheels. But it's not the only thing he can do. Vertical jump was 9.93 as far as an RAS goes at 42 inches. Broad jump was 11 feet 2 inches, 9.96. He's explosive and he's fast. The reason why it matters, I just said, explosive, fast, in their running back room. And that's why we're so fascinated by it. Because we're out there trying to pick complementary traits for this running back room. It's one of the reasons why everyone was talking about Travis Etienne at 30. It's because he adds a dynamic, the Bills receiving and running back rooms don't have a lot of, which is blazing speed. And you can get a receiver out of the backfield. You get a running back who's got that speed that gives you a home run threat you don't have. Well, now the Bills have it, which makes a lot of other discussions more interesting. This is one of the reasons why I don't do mock drafts until after free agency has started to settle down. Because it's fun, don't get me wrong, it's still a good idea, but I feel like I spin my wheels a lot as far as on the hamster wheel goes, because the Bills end up making little signings that throw off the whole thing. I think the really interesting thing to take away from this signing is that Brandon Bean doesn't like to have glaring needs going into the draft. This is the multiple times now he's done this. The last couple of years, Brandon Bean has made sure he shored up needs. Last year, going into the draft, I, of course, pounded the table for a cornerback because that's just what I do. But aside from corner, I don't think there were a whole lot of glaring holes on this roster last year, which means when A.J. Epinesa falls, to 54, Brandon Bean can go, sure, I'll take him. And specifically says to AJ Epinesa on the phone, I don't know why you fell, but I'll take it. That tells you what type of pick it was for him. It was, I think he's the best player on the board. And having that freedom to be able to take talent, pure talent, and you still care about things. You still care about things like positional value. You still care about things like need. Because he thought that Dane Jackson had a reasonable chance of being able to make the team. He specifically said that. So it's not just a BPA pick across the board. Roster construction and the way it currently sits on your depth chart matters for drafting. But it matters less if you fill all of your relevant needs before the draft. Now, for those of you who are thinking, eh, you know, Matt Breida, he was successful in San Francisco. 
wasn't overly successful in Miami. What happened? Well, a couple things. Number one, he got a little banged up. Number two, the running system that was utilized in San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan is vastly different than what is utilized in Miami. I remember thinking when Matt Breida got signed by Miami that that's an interesting fit because the offensive coordinator in Miami at the time was Chan Gailey. And if we know anything about Chan Gailey, it's that he wants to spread you out, throw horizontally, and run power. That's different than what Matt Breida was used to. Matt Breida in San Francisco was a wide zone runner. Why do I even bother saying this? One of the things that we've talked about on the Bruce exclusive a couple times this offseason is that the Bills had a fairly significant shift in zone runs in 2020. They ran a lot more of it than they did in 2019. And it's one of the potential reasons for the struggle of the run game. Now, what does the Matt Breida signing indicate? Well, it could indicate nothing. So let's start with that. But also, if you want to continue to be able to run it, having an experienced zone running back like Matt Breida matters. Having him be able to run that system and know that he can examine the cutback lanes, put his foot in the ground, and get upfield quickly, because Matt Breida does everything quickly, I think he eats cereal quickly. That's the type of speed we have for Matt Breida. Having him at your availability means that you have the option. I'm not saying we're going to be a zone-based run system. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, I wouldn't advocate that either. But what I am saying is more options are better than less options. And we've talked about this before. More options, better than less options. The ability to be multiple requires that you have skill sets that allow you to be multiple. So I think he was a little banged up. I think the system wasn't necessarily a great fit for him. And as is mentioned in the comments from Grappling Science, I'm not entirely sure how much we can trust Brian Flores' personnel decisions, specifically because, now I think Brian Flores is a good coach, but I went on record as saying the Ryan Fitzpatrick to a Tunga Valoa scenario last year was not his shining moment. Maybe Brita was simply misused. So for me, I'm completely cool with it. I am completely cool with it. So we are going to go to the lines and we have Chris on the line first. Chris, you're on with Bruce. What you got for me, buddy? Thanks, Bruce. Um, so I've been following draft Twitter for probably about 15 years now. And this is the first time I can think of in that 15 years that we've been this deep, this early in the process. Um, I was on the Travis Etienne train simply because we didn't have that complimentary back like you had just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And not that Brita is as good as Travis Etienne, but I think he fills that role. Um, and I was also part of team trade back if the option kind of presented itself. But now I'm kind of switching to team trade up if one of those pass rushers like a Quiddy Pay or one of those good CB2 falls. And I'm just wondering what you think about that. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much. This is going to come up at some point very soon. In fact, it's a little spoiler alert for a pod next week. We're going to talk about trading up and trading down at some point next week. At least that's the plan. Unless something goes horribly wrong or horribly right in the meantime. So we are going to talk about it. I will say I'm much more on board with trade up now than I was three weeks ago. I will say that. 
That's a reasonable thing. And I think that having the option to trade up is good because not knowing exactly what another team is going to do is valuable in the draft. So having Brandon Bean say, listen, I can do whatever I want. I can let the board fold me. I can go get a good player. And Quiddy Pay is a great example of that. This is not a scenario where you want to try to reach for an edge rusher at 30 because there's not a lot of edge rushers that come in at 30. Now, I will say trading up and giving up future assets is not something I'm hugely on board with. The Saints did it for Marcus Davenport. Not a fan. If you want to trade up a little bit and potentially use some of your assets this year, okay, maybe. Depends on the player. But I will say that I'm probably still going to be team trade down. The immediate response when I say that is, well, we don't have, we don't have seven rookies who can make this team. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think that a rookie could make the team at tight end. I think a rookie could make the team at safety, where there's very little depth. I think a rookie could make the team at linebacker, where depth is still an issue. Going into last year, we thought linebacker depth was probably an issue, and I still think that way. We really haven't made any reasonable additions. A.J. Klein is somebody who I would prefer to not have to play meaningful snaps because I wasn't a huge fan of the signing when it happened. A rookie could make the team at corner. A rookie could potentially make the team at defensive end. A rookie could potentially make the team at defensive tackle. A rookie could make the team at interior offensive line. A rookie could take the team make the team at wide receiver. A rookie could make the team at quarterback if they decide to keep three. So I do think there are some positions on this roster where a rookie could very easily make the team. And I think that having cheaper depth is not just about this year. It's about being able to let people walk next year. It's about being able to say, you know what, AJ Klein, we can let you go next year. We can cut you because we have depth behind you. It's not, people have a tendency to just look at this team in the sense of how it looks this year. But really the ability to stay cap compliant and efficient with your cap motion is the ability to let people go. And Brandon Bean has structured his contracts in such a way that there's very rarely a more than two-year commitment to a player unless he ends up restructuring them. A great example would be Tredavious White. Tredavious White, we just recently restructured, turned a lot of his salary into signing bonus, kicked that cap hit down 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 the road a little bit. And because of that, we're kind of married to Trey White. Well, guess what? We're fine with that. But here's the players I don't want to be married to. I don't want to be married to John Feliciano next year. I don't want to be married to AJ Klein next year. I don't want to be married to Ike Butker or Cody Ford next year. What allows you to be able to move on from those people? In 2022, what allows you to move on is having depth on rookie contracts. So I would still be in the favor of trading down. Now, that doesn't mean you trade down in the first round, right? And then that's it, you're done. You sit on 10 picks. No, because you can still trade up from the fourth, fifth, and sixth round. I would love to have as many top 100 picks as humanly possible. Trade down from the first, then trade up from the fourth. I love that idea. I do, because that's how you get good quality depth. 
And when you lack holes that the Bills really do at this point, I would argue CB2 is still a hole. When that has an opportunity to really manifest itself is either in trading up, like we just talked about, or trading down. So the fact that we can trade up and I'm not going to be upset about it speaks to the roster that Brandon Bean has built. However, I would probably still be on team trade down. So, moving on. Let's talk a little bit about Brita. Let's talk a little bit about his experience. Let's talk a little bit about things that he's done thus far. In San Francisco, he was given play, really, for two years. 18 and 19. In 18, he had 153 carries for 800 and 14 yards. Three touchdowns, 5.3 yards per carry. In 19, 123 rushes for 623 yards and a touchdown, 5.1 yards a carry. Extremely efficient usage. He was Raheem Mostert before Raheem Mostert was Raheem Mostert. In that Kyle Shanahan wide zone offense. Then he transitions to Miami. Doesn't end up being what he wants it to end up being. I want to make sure I got those stats out, mostly because Matt Breida was a really good back who just wasn't used a lot. He's still young, doesn't have a lot of tread on the tires. I'm a fan of the signing, and you know me. I'm not a huge guy when it comes to running backs. I wish hashtag team do nothing on running backs. My Buffalo Rumblings article that I wrote on the Buffalo Bills strategy for running backs this offseason was do nothing. Now, I went on to elaborate that do nothing meant do nothing of significance. Don't do anything of significance. If you want to add a cheap free agent, so be it. This is exactly the type of investment that I wanted the Bills to make in the running back room if they didn't bring back TJ Yeldon. Completely good with it. Pierre in the comment section says, how did AJ Apinesa look last year? So I was able to partner with Eric Turner from Cover One on an AJ Apinesa video talking about his weight loss, how he reshaped his body, new body compositions. And the answer is, I thought he looked better as the year went along. I thought that him him having to get used to a new body type was kind of a big deal. Him having to kind of adjust to a brand new method of winning and losing when it comes to pass rush matters because you still maintain all of the length that you had, but you lose a little bit of that bulk but you gain a little bit of speed. So you have a new options that open up to you. New set of options kind of opens up to you as a pass rusher that you didn't necessarily have to worry about before. But being able to attack the outside hip of an offensive tackle matters. Whether that's through hand usage, whether that's through speed, burst, whether that's cross chop, whether that's a rip move, whether it's hump, whatever it is, being able to get to the outside matters and in a little extra juice isn't really going to hurt so because i don't have any other speaker requests right now we are going to go ahead and do a couple almighty takes that i had sitting around as a reminder at the bottom of your screen if you want to talk to me you can hit request to speak it'll put you on hold and when that comes around i'll pull you up so as i dive through my email and i start looking at these almighty takes. Reminder, you can email your me or almighty takes. I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com. I start to see them, some things that have common themes. 
And one of them is the Emmanuel Sanders-John Brown swap. Jeremy says, Bruce, the Emmanuel Sanders-John Brown swap this year leaves me with a lukewarm taste in my mouth. Similar to last year's Kevin Johnson-Josh Norman swap. In 2020, we gave up a plus athlete with speed at CB2 for an older, less athletic, and more expensive version of Levi Wallace. When we could have re-signed Johnson, Kevin Johnson this is, at a very modest deal. I believe he signed with Cleveland for a little more than $2 million. Similarly this year, we let a plus-ish athlete with speed in John Brown go in favor of an older, less athletic version of what we already had. When apparently... We could have gotten Brown back for less than $4 million. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad to have Emmanuel Sanders, but man, we could have gotten John Brown back for about 66% of what we're paying Samuels. Is this reasonable concern or am I way off base? I don't think you're way off base. I will say that the athleticism gap that you are talking about, differences between Emmanuel Sanders and John Brown, I don't think it's significant as you think it is. So Emmanuel Sanders coming out of college was a crazy athlete in the 2010 draft. He was, shockingly enough, his numbers look a lot like Matt Breida's. I know that's kind of funny, but the height, weight, speed, the whole thing looks a lot like Matt Breida. He was a 4-4 guy. Breida was a 4-3-9 guy. He was a 9.39 on the athletic scale from a relative athletic score. Matt Breida was right around there too. Vertical jump, broad jump, three cone, all really good, just like Matt Breida. Emmanuel Sanders was a really, really, really good athlete coming out of college. Now he is older, just like you said. He is absolutely older. However, it's not like he was a bad athlete because he was a good athlete. He was always a good athlete. Now you compare that to John Brown. John Brown, very similar size, 5'10", 180-ish. Ran the 40-yard dash in 4.34. 20-yard shuttle was 4.12. So they were similar athletes. The difference is John Brown's been banged up more. So how athletic are you after the injuries, especially the lower body injuries that John Brown has suffered thus far in his career? I think it's a reasonable possibility that A.J. Epinesa, as a movement athlete this year, might be as good or better than John Brown would be this year. Just due to the injuries and the ability of it to sap your speed as a running back and as a wide receiver and as a skill position player who relies on your hamstrings and your quads and explosion and power. I think it's reasonable to think that Emmanuel Sanders, not just as a better player, which I think he is, but might actually be a smidge better athlete at this point, just because he hasn't had to go through the injuries that John Brown has had to go through. So I, I consider it a win. I watched a lot of Emmanuel Sanders last year. I think he can still separate vertically. I don't think he's a as much of a burner as he was, but he can still separate, and I think he's a really, really good route runner. Like a really good route runner. So I'm completely cool with it. Jeremy also says, last year, I lobbied for the elimination of the term hot take from the NFL pundit vernacular. This year, I'm doing the same with the term hometown discount. I hate this term. The implication of the phrase is that players are taking less money for emotional reasons, which paints players in a negative light. I would argue 
that a hometown discount is really more of a reasoned and smart investment made by the player to ensure they will earn every last dollar of their contract. Example, Matt Milano signs a four-year deal worth reportedly $44 million. Let's say theoretically, he had an offer for four years, $48 million from another team. As you have outlined in the past, a four-year, $48 million contract can turn into two years, $24 million real quick. Why? Risk. Whenever you go to a new team, you are assuming many risks. The coaching staff could be bad, the front office, the locker room, the scheme. As such, your ability to earn every last dollar of your contract goes down because through no fault of your own, perhaps, you don't perform under your contract and you get cut. That's opposed to staying with the team where you know the front office, coaching staff, locker room, and scheme are all conducive to your long-term success, i.e. your chances of earning every last dollar of your contract go up. That's not a hometown discount. That's a smart investment that eliminates a lot of risk and helps ensure you get every dollar in your contract. Can we please stop using the term hometown discount? Pundits degrade a player's acumen when they use this term. First off, Jeremy, I didn't realize you felt so strongly about the term hometown discount. I love this point. I do. I don't have a disdain for the term hometown discount the way that you do. However, this is part of the factor that goes into a player deciding whether or not they're going to resign. This matters. The ability to maximize earning potential matters. I don't think it's the only thing. I do think there's such a thing as a hometown discount. I do think that's a real thing. The difference is we just can't assume that when a player takes less money on the total, that that's what it is. I do think hometown discounts exist because they say, listen, my wife likes it here. My kids are here. I don't want to move schools. I'll take a little bit less. That is a hometown discount. The difference is we don't know if the reason why the player took less is because of the hometown factor or because of the factor that you very astutely brought up. There's all these reasons why people make decisions. The whys in life are so important. For those of you who have been following this podcast and this show for a long time, you will know of the Bruceism. How and why are more important interrogatives than what? It matters more. How and why are flat out more important than what? Because what is so simple? We know what they did. Why did they do it? People are complicated. Everyone has their own particular strengths and weaknesses and motivations, things they care about. So I do think hometown discounts are real. But I don't think you can assume when a player takes less, it's because of the hometown discount. So I hope that makes sense. But I absolutely love the talking point from Jeremy. We're going to go to Jack. And Jack says, Bruce, I know you're not a fan of Jadavian Clowney, who I can see the Bills pursuing. What do you think of Geno Atkins as a defensive line addition? At this stage in his career, the guy may be pining on being on a contender. I believe he's absolutely a culture fit and could help the Bills and be a mentor for Ed Oliver. Your thoughts. Okay, so Jack sent this before we signed F.A. Obada. So I think that F.A. Obada becomes the Quentin Jefferson for this team, the inside-outside. I do think that a one-tech defensive tackle and potentially a three-tech could still make this team. I just mentioned that when we talked about rookies making this team. So I think that's absolutely a possibility. However, Geno Atkins is still interesting to me. 
He's interesting to me because it's such a heavy rotation. Now, I will say that there's a reasonable chance Ed Oliver is the least rotated defensive lineman on this team. If you look at Sean McDermott's behavior when he was the defensive coordinator in Carolina, the people who rotated the least were the three-tech defensive tackles. The ends rotated a lot more because it was a three-tech interior pressure-focused defense, which is one of the reasons why I was comfortable taking Ed Oliver in the top 10. If he's only going to play 50% of snaps, then it might not be as much of a value proposition to take a player like that in the top 10. But if you look at the behavior from Sean McDermott, there's a chance Ed Oliver plays 70% of the snaps, 80% of the snaps. So I don't know if Geno Smith, sorry, Geno Smith, (laughs) Geno Smith, if Geno Atkins wants to come in and actually play 30% of the snaps, because there's teams out there who might not be able to get a three-tech defensive tackle in this draft and may want to circle back to Geno Atkins who might have a chance to play and get more money after the draft. This is not a good defensive tackle class, ladies and gentlemen. I'm glad the Bills don't go in needing a three-tech defensive tackle because it's not a great class for three-tech defensive tackles. So maybe Geno Atkins is banking on that too. And he's thinking to himself, goodness gracious, if I just hang on, I think I can make that happen. Jeremy J comes back with Bruce. As we head into the draft, it might be helpful to get a lay of the land informing opinions about what the Bills should do with pick 30, take it or trade down. In that regard, what could the Bills reasonably expect to get in exchange for pick 30? So we are going to pull up the trade value chart. And we're going to have a discussion about the way that this stuff works. So the trade value chart, that's the classic Jimmy Johnson kind of vibe, has the Buffalo pick at 30 worth 620 points. 620 points. To put that in perspective, let's say that Dallas wanted to come up. Dallas is at 44. So if Dallas comes up from 44 to 30, Dallas's pick at 44 is worth 460. Four sixty to six twenty. So they need to make up 160 points. The 160 point pick is 86 from the New York Jets. So Dallas has pick 75, which is 215. So they would have to give up a two and a three potentially, and that might be a little bit of an overpayment, but they're getting a fifth-year option. So if it was me and Brandon Bean and Dallas calls, says, I would say, I want your two and your three to come up. They might say no, in which case I go, okay, fine. I want your two. I want your three at the end of round three, which is a compensatory pick, which can be traded, and that's 104 points. So give me a two, the three at the back end, and then throw in, goodness gracious, you got 160 points to make up, and that gives me 104 points. So give me your three at the back half of that, and then give me your fourth compensatory pick. So your compensatory pick in round three, and your compensatory pick in round four, and your your pick in round two. 
give me a two, three, and a four, and I will trade down from one. I would be a fan of I would be a fan of that. I'd be a huge fan of that. If Dallas calls and says, I want to move up to 30, but I you're gonna drop back to 44, give me your two, your three, and your four, and we'll do it. I would be thrilled with that. Move back 14 spots, pick up an extra three and an extra four. Now we're cooking with gas, baby, because the Bills don't have a four, if you remember correctly. The Bills don't have a four. So then I can package my two fives and move up into the fourth round. Now I've got a two, a three, and two fours. I'm I'm thrilled with that. This is what I was talking about as far as the trade down and the ability to trade down and then turn around and trade back up again. So I would be a fan of this. Now let's flip the script because we have people talking about potentially wanting to move up. So Quiddy Pay. Let's say Quiddy Pay falls to a team who would be interested in recouping some capital. Let's talk about who doesn't have a lot of capital. Who doesn't have a lot of capital this year? If you're in the comments section, chip in and talk to me about where you want me to trade up with. Do you want me to trade up with Vegas at 17? Miami at 18 might want to trade down. Washington at 19, maybe. Washington at 19 seems reasonable to me. So if the Bills were to trade up from 30 to 19, they have 620 and they need 875 points. So they need to make up 255. So they have to give up their one. They'd have to give up probably their two. Their two is worth 292 points. Otherwise, they'd have to give up their one, their three, which is worth 128 points, and their five, and probably something next year to make it happen. So if you want to trade up, it's going to be expensive. Those first-round picks have pretty exponential growth in points when you start to get toward the top of the first round. So that's kind of an idea of what this would look like if you decided that you wanted to trade up in the first round. So we have value for trading down. We have value for trading up. In the comment section, Andy says that the Seahawks are moving on from Jaron Reed. Jaron Reed, Seattle defensive tackle. They said, ah, you know, I'll pass. I don't want to, I don't want to, don't want to be part of Jaron Reed anymore. Jaron Reed was someone I talked about last year as far as a potential, a potential addition to the Buffalo Bills. And it just, didn't end up happening for the Bills, but I was still interested. I do think that he played well. I do think he played well for the Seahawks overall. I think that if Quentin Jefferson hadn't signed with the Raiders already, there's a reasonable chance that you could say, okay, um, maybe a reunion for Quentin Jefferson with them. But now that they've cut Jaron Reed, I don't really know what they would do. I probably wouldn't be on board with a very significant investment at the defensive tackle position. I'd love to draft someone. I would love to draft someone. So I wouldn't hate it, but I do think he's going to get paid. I don't think he would come cheaply. And at this point, I think we're squarely in the bargain bin version of free agency. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being a part of this. For those of you who are sticking around, in the comment section, thank you for being a part of this. I appreciate you hanging on with me. It was very frustrating for me. I was banging the table, trying to figure out a way to make this work. Thanks for being a part of this. 
Thanks for everything you do. I will catch you soon. And until next time, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.